0: And it's from John chapter five. and we're going to start reading from verse one, John chapter five, reading from verse one. Now after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we don't really know what feast it was, but very often uh, several times a year, Jewish men had to return to Jerusalem for the feast. And this was one of the feasts that, that Jesus had returned to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 2 Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. So I was reading about this, just trying to learn about the background of, of the place. And it says, Until the 19th century, many people thought that the Gospel of John that there was a mistake here, and it was written by somebody who didn't know much about Jerusalem, written hundreds of years later, after, after uh, uh, the first century. Because they had never located this pool. And it wasn't until the mid-19th century that this pool of Bethesda was located, uh, thereby just, just quenching this, this, this fire in the hearts of all of these so, so-called scholars, who felt that, that because this pool had never been recognized, that it had never been found, that there was a mistake there in, in the Scriptures. You know, it, it really turns out that whenever people figure that, that they've got something up on the Word of God, they generally turn out to be wrong. Uh, the Scriptures are God-breathed. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that is, God has given them. They are God-breathed. The Scriptures are true. The scriptures are true. They have not changed. They are absolutely true. It says that it, it even gives detail. It says it gives the Hebrew name, Bethesda, and it says and it says that, that it had this this name, this this place of healing, but also this place of despair where they would let, leave the people in despair. And it had five porticos or five verandas that were covered. So it's giving this detailed description. And it wasn't a small pool, it had five covered areas, so it was plenty of room. And it says, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. So in verse 2, he says, by the sheep gate, a pool. Giving description after description. Look at the accuracy of the Word of God. It's not saying, well, there was some pond somewhere, and Jesus happened upon this pond. No, it's saying, it's by the sheep gate, a pool. Here's the name of the pool. Had five porticos. Why doesn't it just say it had a, some porticos? No, it said it had five porticos. Look at the accuracy of the Word of God, the description of the Scriptures that He gives us. John really knew Jerusalem very well, and he gives this detailed description. He says, "In this late, a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered." Many, this wasn't just a few, it was a multitude. How much is a multitude? I don't know, but it's more than 50. Hundreds maybe? Lots of people who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. So it gives the description of them, sick, blind, lamed, and withered. Think about this place. This would be the place that, that mothers would not want to bring their children. Because they would be afraid that they might get sick. And I understand that. This would be the place that that, uh, maybe people would go on mission trips to to go and serve or something. But this was a place where they would leave all the sick people. And then there's there's this parenthetical area that wasn't read today, but it's the last half of 3 and all of verse 4, and it says this, "...waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water." Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now that portion is not in the earliest manuscripts, so some Bibles put it off to the side. But regardless, what it does is it helps us to understand what's going to come next. It helps us to understand what this, this sick man was going to say. So what it says is there there was this tradition or this legend or this fact that that, uh, the sick people would stand around and they would wait certain seasons. An angel would go in and stir up the waters. And then whoever was first into the water would be cured of their sickness. So in verse 5 it says, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Think about this. Think about where you were 38 years ago. Think about that. For some of you, it's hard to think about that because you were never born yet. But think about where you were 38 years ago. I was in college 38 years ago. There's a lot of time between the time I was in college and now. A lot has happened in my life. 38 years is a long time. You've been sick? Are you sick? I I would bet there's very few people here that have been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. So there was a man there who had been ill for 38 years. doesn't tell us exactly what his illness was, but he was ill for 38 years, and we know he couldn't move very fast because of his illness. And we see that in the next verse. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? So Jesus picks out one person from this multitude. One person. Jesus, didn't, Jesus could have healed them all. Jesus could have just said a word. Boom, it's done. But He didn't do it. He singled out one person among this multitude. Why this person? I don't know. We're not told. Why God sends a touch upon one person and not another? I don't know. This is up to God. I don't know. But what I do know is that He tells us that we should ask. We should ask. So He says to this sick man, He says, do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? Well, duh. (laughs) It's 38 (laughs) years I've been here. What's amazing is the man's answer. That he doesn't just say yes. Jesus comes to him. He says, do you wish to get well? So look what the man says. The sick man answered him, sir. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Maybe he thought that Jesus would hang out there by the pool with him. him. And Jesus, being a strong young man in his early 30s, would be able to help him get into that pool first. He says, every time the water is stirred up and an angel is gonna come and there's gonna be a healing, I try to get down in the pool, but I don't move very fast. Somebody steps over me and they get in there first. This man for 38 years has been seeing this sort of thing happen so that if this were not true, he would have learned after, you know, a few months, certainly after a few years, that people who get in before him don't get healed and this is, you know, this is just a legend, there's nothing behind it but there must have been something because he was still trying to get into the water and people would beat him out. So Jesus says to him, do you wish to get well? And the man never says yes. He starts explaining this situation. I mean, think about this. As I was meditating on this portion, I thought, this is so true. So many times, God wants to intercede on my life and I'm giving you all these reasons of why it's a very complex situation. Do you want to be delivered? Well, here's what's happening at work, Lord. Like he doesn't even know. He needs me to explain it to him. This man felt that if he went by the prescribed order of what was normal for healing, that then he would be healed. It had to go this way. What Jesus is about to show him is that God intercedes in the affairs of human beings and changes everything. I'll give you another example. Man is working hard. Woman is working hard in their work, in their vocation. I've got to work very hard. You have no idea how, who I have to compete with or what's going on at my work. And I gotta work very hard, I gotta work all these hours, and every time I try to succeed, somebody steps over me and gets there first. Just explaining all of these things. And God comes and He says He wants to intercede in the affairs of men. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're gonna start reading from verse 97. I have spent more time meditating in this portion of Psalm 119 verse 97 onward than any other portion in the Bible. Myself, I'm just telling you, more than John 3.16, more than any other portion, it's been this portion. And look at what God says. Look at what the scriptures say. The, The psalmist says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What is the outcome now of his meditation all the day? Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation, and I understand more than the age, because I have observed your precepts. Look at the way God intercedes... On a career, I have nothing against hard work. I am all for it. But if you think that you're going to excel strictly because of hard work, you are competing with the world, and there is always going to be someone smarter, someone stronger, someone faster who's going to step over you and get in that area first. And God gives us a way to succeed. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What happens to the man, to the woman that will meditate on the Word of God every day? His commandments will make you wiser than your enemies because they are ever mine. Your commandments are ever mine. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. I have had the good fortune of being able, the blessing of being able to study with many great men, under many great men under Nobel Prize winners, under people that really knew a lot. The Scriptures say right here, I will have more insight than all my teachers if, my, if God's testimonies are my meditation. That is a promise. And I take hold of that promise. You see, what happens is, Jesus says, Do you want to get well? Do you want to succeed in your job? Oh yeah, I want to succeed in that <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is why I try so hard to get down and to work here every day really hard. And Jesus is going, hmm. Do you want to succeed? He intercedes on the affairs of men, and he says that if you make this word your meditation, <clears throat> you will have more insight than all your teachers. You will have <clears throat> more capability than every person that you're competing with. You'll be able to do better than all of these people. He says, if you make this Word of God your meditation. If you do this, you make this Word of God your meditation, you will succeed. It's exactly what's happening to this man. Jesus said, do you want to get well? All he has to say is yes. But no, he's going through all this explanation of what he has to do. God has a plan for us. In James chapter four, verse two, it says, "You do not receive because you do not ask." The primary reason why we do not receive answers to prayer is because we do not ask. That is the primary reason. You say, "I never, never receive, you know, answers to my prayer." I say, "Well, how often do you pray?" Well, how often do you pray? It says in Luke chapter eighteen, he gives us an example of an unrighteous judge, and he says. The judge changed his mind because the woman kept coming back again and again and again saying give me deliverance in Luke chapter 18. And then Jesus said gives this as an example it starts off in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 <clears throat> he wanted to teach them how to pray. He wanted to teach them how to appeal to God. And the woman came day after day after day to the unrighteous judge. He says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. It is not a one-time thing. For us, prayer is, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. This is what I want. This, this, this This is the prayer. But what God wants to do is He wants to draw us to Himself through the prayer. The whole process of the prayer is drawing us back to the feet of God. Psalm 12, help Lord. <clears throat> this is the way the psalm starts, help Lord. I mean, that is as simple as can be. Help Lord. Help means I'm in need and Lord is, I'm appealing to you. I can't do this on my own. This is what he says to that man. So turn back, turn back to, uh uh. to John chapter five, <clears throat> John chapter five. So he says, "Do you want to get well?" And the guy goes through the whole scenario of what he's got to do. So after after the the uh, the sick man answered him, <clears throat> Jesus is just looking at him, and then Jesus said, "Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk." So this man goes through this whole thing, and then God, bam! just intercedes on the affairs of humankind. Totally bypasses <clears throat> the understanding of that day on what you had to do to get well. He just intercedes. God just did it. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. There is no faith in this man. None. This is before The unpardonable sin. Prior to the unpardonable sin, there was no requirement for faith. Jesus healed people based on need, and that's it. After the unpardonable sin, he only healed based on faith. Only, exclusively healed based on faith. Before the unpardonable sin, there was no requirement for faith. This guy didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't even know who this guy was. How is he going to have faith in him? We know he doesn't even know who he was because later on, as as the boy read, he says, I don't know who healed me. It's just the same, the guy who told me to pick up my pallet and walk. He's who did it, whoever he is. I don't know. He had no idea who it was. There was no faith in him. Jesus healed based on need prior to the unpardonable sin. And this is what he did. He just healed this man. He said, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Now, of all things... Why did he have to say, pick up your pallet? That's going to cause all sorts of trouble. Why didn't he just say, get up and walk? Jesus had to interject, pick up your pallet. That's going to get Jesus in a lot of trouble. In fact, they are going to want to kill him for that. For that. They're going to want to kill him. Because he said, couldn't he have healed the guy? Just by saying, get up and walk? That would have been enough. But he said, get up, pick up your palate and walk. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He does things in our lives that sets us in positions to see our own hearts. And that's what he's, what he's doing here. Immediately the man became well. He picked up his palate and he began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Think about that. Think about what these people said. They see this guy that for 38 years they have seen him by the pool of Bethesda. For 38 years. That's a long time. They'd kind of grown up with him. He was a fixture. I mean, most people don't say stay sick for 38 years in those days. 38 years he was sick. And now he's walking around and they can't say... Wow, you're walking. How'd that happen, brother? Whoa, you're walking. They are just concerned about him carrying his pallet on the Sabbath day. Do you see how warped we can become in our lives? So obsessed with little things, never appreciating the great blessings that God pours out upon us. God never promises us riches. He doesn't. He promised it to the Jews in the Old Testament. He did, if they would walk with Him. To us, the New Testament tells us that it says of Jesus that the the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. You say, well, Jesus didn't have a home, but we do. Actually, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that if you have food and clothing, with that, with this you shall be content. If you have food and clothing, the only promise that He gives us as believers is food and clothing. That is it. If we have a home, it is an extra blessing. Remember many of the disciples, in, in it, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, they wandered in caves and hills and holes in the ground because of their faith. If we have a home, it's an added blessing. Look at all that He has blessed us with and we just go around to... This is terrible. I mean, my life is... I don't have anything. You you got got clothes on? Did you eat today? Yeah, I ate. You got something. you have a home? Yeah, I have. Okay, we got that. Do you have a job? Yeah, I have a job. You just go through this list of all the stuff the guy has. He says, I have nothing. So my daughter one day told me she has no clothes. She has no clothes. And I'm looking at her. You have no clothes? And so I went to her closet and I opened her closet. I said, I cannot even put my hand in this way in your closet. It's so packed with clothes. It's so packed, but she has no clothes. We get so obsessed over little things that we miss this whole big picture of what God has done. He's healed. He's walking around. They never say, wow. Praise God, brother. That's wonderful. What are you doing carrying that pallet? He said, I don't know. The guy who healed me told me to carry it. Who healed you? I don't know. I have no idea. Just the guy who healed me told me to carry it. Now, why would Jesus tell him to carry it? To reveal our own hearts. He does all sorts of things in our lives To reveal our home. Why did I get a flat today? Why did my car get a flat tire? Lord, why would you do this to me? To reveal to you how pitiful your heart is. (laughs) You go from praising God to spitting and cursing. Just because you got a nail in your tire. I'm revealing to you your heart. He allows all sorts of things in our lives to reveal to us our own hearts. This is why he told them to pick up the pallet, just to expose these people for for where they stand. They asked him in verse 12, "Who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk?" But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Jesus was very content in praying in speaking, in healing, without getting his name in the paper, you know, he was very content in just slipping away. In fact, it says in the Gospel of John, if all the works that Jesus did had been recorded, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. You know, we just have a few little snippets of the acts that he did. It says all the books couldn't contain it, all the healings that he did. And that continues today. I mean, think about all the things that God does in our lives. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Every breath we take. Every heartbeat is a gift from God. Verse verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Huh? What's amazing is what Jesus didn't say. So Jesus finds this guy in the temple. So at least the guy's in the right place. He has no idea who healed him, but he's gone at least to the temple. He didn't go to the local bar or something. He went to the temple. And so Jesus finds him there. He's not looking for Jesus. He had no idea who, who this guy was. Jesus finds him there. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, remember me? Let me tell you something. I got, I got 12 disciples here. You got to get to know them. They'll get you in a Bible study. They'll get you all fixed up. Just follow me. Or I know, I know this, this, this group of women. They have this Bible study over there in the upper room. Go over there. Jesus meets mm-hmm. him. Finds him, it says, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Well, duh, I'm walking around, okay? You've become well. Behold, you've become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And that's it. That's all that's recorded. And the man went away and told the Jews, That it was Jesus who had made him well. That's it. All he says to him is Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Worse than 38 years of sickness? That's what Jesus said. Something worse will happen to you if you sin. Do not sin anymore. In other words, for this man, his sickness was due to his sin. The Scriptures clearly tell us there are multiple reasons for sickness. Very often it's for the glory of God. as He says, whose sin is responsible, his disciples said to him, for this man's blindness, being born blind. Was he born blind because of his own sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no, he was born blind for the glory of God. Not for sin. God does things to glorify Himself. But here, here He says, He says, do not sin anymore. Sin is a devastating thing. If we had any idea how much sin destroys our lives, we would not tinker with it so much. We would not entertain it so much. If we understood how much it can destroy our lives Turn to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to start reading, yeah verse 23. "For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. When I was in college, I spent my last two years, I moved into a discipleship house that was owned by Dr. Koshi. and Dr. T.E. Koshi, how many of you know Dr. Koshi? Okay. So he, he was a good friend of Brother Boxing. That's where I met Brother Boxing. But I was in this discipleship program. And I moved from a beautiful place into a home that that was owned by Dr. Koshi. And today, Dr. Koshi would go to jail for being a landlord like this. I mean, it was freezing. The, the heater went out every night. And this was in Syracuse, New York. I would wake up every morning and I could see my breath. There were two bathrooms. There were ten guys living in this discipleship home. And 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 uh, uh, there were two bathrooms, one upstairs, one downstairs. But one, the the toilet worked upstairs, but not the shower. Downstairs, the shower worked, but not the toilet. And and uh, and there were holes in the door, just holes in the door, and mice everywhere. Mice all over. I would even say to the guys, "Watch, I can catch a mouse." I would set a trap, I'd put it down, and I'd turn to them. I'd say, "Watch, I'm going to." Tra- Before I could finish my sentence, the the the, the you'd hear the pop where it trapped a mouse. Because there was a hole that came up from the floor. I knew where they would go up and down because I used to see them go up and down through that hole. And so, this is what I lived in. And and uh, um, and when I first moved in there, anything I did, the, the the other brothers would be correcting me. I was a new believer. I moved in this. Anything I did, they would be correcting me. Like we were doing dishes one night. I tried to help and I took all the dishes and I dumped them in the drawer for the, the silverware. One guy said, what are you doing? I said, let's I put, I put the silverware in the drawer. He says... No, they've got to go in each slot properly. I said, what's the difference? They're in there. He says, no, they go in each slot properly. And that, that was just the beginning. And then day after day, I was being reproved for something. And then when I told him, you, you know, why, why are you always correcting me? He quoted this verse for me. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. It was the best thing that ever happened to me to live in that house. It taught me how to live with other people. Taught me how to share and not be selfish. It Taught me how to put silverware away properly. That some people care about the order. But then it says, "It's here's the reason for it. Verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Look what He's doing. He warns us from sin. He told that man, don't sin anymore or something worse than 38 years of sickness may befall you. This is what the Word of God does. The Word of God causes us to see and to behold and it exposes our own hearts so that God can keep us from sinning. And look at the warning here. He says to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Because this is what happens. A man does not wake up in the morning and just say, I think I'll go commit adultery today. It doesn't happen. There's this entertaining that occurs in the mind. He's met somebody with a smooth tongue. You know, she says to me nice things. You know, I go to work. She She tells me I look good. She tells me I'm funny. She tells me... I'm strong. One little word from a woman can grab a man's heart. My wife never said that. All she ever does is nag me. And all of a sudden, she's got his heart. One word. This Word of God warns us from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Look at where it starts. In the heart. It starts in the heart. The desiring of the beauty. This is where sin starts. Nobody wakes up and says, I think I'll sin today. I think I'll do that. I think I'll just sin. No, nobody does that. It starts in the heart. We entertain these things in our heart. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. Once she's got your heart, then even her eyelids can capture you. For an account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. I know the NIV says, you know, you can get a harlot for the price of a loaf of bread. Actually, you look in the word-by-word translation, and it is really you will be reduced to a loaf of bread. You will lose all dignity in an act of adultery. All dignity is gone, is gone. Never to be restored, never. You mess around with this stuff, it will never be restored. You will not lose your salvation, but your dignity is gone. You mess around with this stuff. Something worse than 38 years of sickness will befall you. Sin you don't mess with. Of all things for Jesus to say to the man when He saw Him in the temple, He said, do not sin anymore. You're made well, don't sin anymore, or something worse will befall you. What's amazing, what he didn't say, all the things that he could have said to that man to instruct him. He said, don't sin anymore. One is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Your life is precious to God. Precious. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? The answer is no. He can't. He's going to be burned. Then he says, so it is with the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Whoever touches another man's wife will not go unpunished. You want to have God against you? Touch another man's wife. Imagine waking up in the morning and knowing God is against you. I don't even want to get out of this bed. If God's against me. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to all men. Fear God and keep His commandments. He said to him, do not sin. If you are dabbling in something that you know is illegal, that you know is improper, that you know upsets God, be free of it. Free yourself as fast as you possibly can. Free yourself from this. If you are caught in something, you go to the leadership and you confess this. And you repent or something worse may befall you. This is what Jesus says to the man. Behold, you have been made well. When His salvation drops upon us, behold, we have been made well. But do not sin or something worse may befall you. This is the warning that He gives us. This is the teaching that he gives us. He teaches us to appreciate him and who he is. Let's turn back to, uh, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And it says that as a result of all this, it says in, in verse, in verse, uh, 16, for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the Sabbath day. They were persecuting Him because He was doing these things on the Sabbath day. This shows you how wicked our hearts can be. We can even get upset at the way God is blessing other people. But He answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling himself, calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So they wanted to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath by healing people on the Sabbath and telling them to carry their pallet. They wanted to kill him. You see how wicked our hearts can get? They wanted to kill a man for their picayune little rules. And then... When he referred to God as his Father, it says, but also for calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. I know in our Western world, by calling God your Father does not imply that we are making ourselves equal with God. But when he said it, in the way he said it, it was making himself equal with God. Because it says right here, he called God his own Father, making himself equal with God. They perceived this to be making himself equal with God. And that is who Jesus is. He is God who has come in the flesh. And then in verse, in verse 21, He goes on to say, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He wishes. In verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears My words and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. If you do not know the Lord, I am telling you here by the words of Jesus Christ, you can come to him and he will grant you life. Behold, you will be made well. You will not come into judgment, but you will pass out of uh, you will pass out of death into life. And we're going to close with this in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we're going to read verse 25. John chapter 11, verse 25. And you hold on to this verse if ever you've lost a loved one in Christ. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me shall live even if he dies. And anyone who believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked, do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in Me shall never die. There is eternal life in Jesus. Jesus never would have said this if it were not true. There's the eternal life in Jesus. When the flesh dies, the Spirit is instantly and immediately alive with God. If you know Him, you pass immediately from death into life. And one day He will raise up the body to join with that Spirit again. But you immediately pass from death into life. And you say, well, that's hard to believe. That's why Jesus said right there in the, end of verse, in, in, in the end of that verse, He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is what He gives us to believe. Because it's true. And He gives all human beings the ability to believe this. Because it's true. We pass out of death into life. He restores, He heals, He delivers from sin, and He gives eternal life. This is what our Lord does. This is what our Lord does. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, the beauty of Your Word. Lord, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Lord, I pray for these precious people here. For your precious children, I pray that you get a hold of their hearts. That they would love your word all the more. That they would take hold of your word. And they would study your word so that their hearts can be revealed to them. That they need not step into sin. And that something terrible await them because of that. Father, I pray that you would keep the men and women in this fellowship from falling into adultery. Father, I pray that you keep them from sin. And Lord, I pray that you teach them to pray, to cry out to you and to say, Lord, do this in my life. Father, I pray for all those here that are struggling in their jobs to work so hard. Father, I pray that they would learn to meditate upon your word, as the scriptures say. And that then you would give them more insight than all their teachers. Father, that you would give them insight over their enemies. Father, that they would have insight over their colleagues as they will meditate day and night on the Word of God, the daily meditation on the Word of God. Father, I pray that they would take your Word and love it dearly. Father, give them a love and desire for the Word of God. Lord, I pray that they would readily embrace what you have to offer, that they would readily embrace it and not give lots of explanations to explain it away but Father, that they would believe that you can intercede in the affairs of humankind. Father, your mercy and your grace be upon them. And Lord, let them walk in the hope of the resurrection, the hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ, and that they would believe it because it's true. God's word is true. For the glory of God, I pray. And in his name, amen.